0: Everyone, welcome back to Murder and Mediumship. I'm Catherine, your host. And before we get started, I just want to remind you once again that our Patreon is open at patreon.com/slash Catherine and Intuitive. The link is in the show notes. And we have everything there from uplifting positive messages and journaling prompts, weekly oracle card polls, to private readings, interviews with serial killers and or victims, and everything you can think of in between. So head on over there, check it out. And if you'd like, it would support me even more if you would go ahead and leave a five-star review on iTunes and continue to enjoy this podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it. One more thing, and that's if you do leave a review on iTunes, you will be entered to win a free 30-minute reading. That is by the end of May 31st that you have to leave that review, and you'll be automatically entered to win. And here we go. This case was asked for repeatedly, and I was really, really, really apprehensive about doing this because there's something that needs to be understood. When a medium connects to or a psychic connects to a case, a murder case, a missing person, whatever it is, it's better to know as little as possible so that we're not kind of um led by logic in a case. And I don't mean this to say if you're having like a private reading with me, please ask me what your questions are. Don't ask me to read your mind. That is a completely different scenario and it makes it a lot harder to get to what it is that you are actually curious about. However, when it comes to missing people and murder victims, it's better to have just the name, at least for myself and I have heard lots of other psychics say this too. They also agree. It's better to have just a name or just a couple photos and not know anything about the investigation. Going into it, just getting completely, what are your cold hits on it? And that's going to help you piece together things when you do start learning more. Maybe it'll help you to connect to whatever it is that you were seeing and make sense of that. And that's very much how I do this work. So that being said, connecting to the case of Lacey Connor peterson also known as the Scott Peterson murder trial, it was difficult to separate from what I already have as a preconceived notion about the case, what I've come to learn about it, what I know about it, what all the documentaries I've seen about it, really taking yourself out of that place and immersing into a place of like total blackness and total darkness and no noise to just hear what it is in connecting with Lacey that I could hear what she had to say. And even when I heard her, I second guessed it. And frankly, and I'm going to link it, um, in these notes, but there's also a case that I've listened to. It was this case that a, another psychic also fell into and she saw a lot of what the same, the same things that I saw, which really kind of made me feel even more confident in sharing this with you guys. Okay. So. Lacey Denise Peterson was allegedly seen last on the morning of December 24th, 2002. And it depends on which side of the fence you sit on in this widely publicized media frenzy that was the Lacey Peterson case. I remember being about 13 years old, staring at the TV, almost in a trance, watching the coverage unfold. And there was this beautiful woman with a large pregnant belly and a beautiful smile spread across her face. And she was missing. Poof. Seemingly gone into thin hair. I can vividly see my mom standing in front of the television set with the remote pressed to her chin and her hands folded in front of her. And the coverage was endless. This woman disappeared on Christmas Eve of all days, which is so tragic. I mean, really more tragic than I feel like just disappearing on any old Wednesday, maybe, but with her first child on the way. So to me, it felt like a race against the clock. Would she be bound sound? bound Would she be found safe and alive before giving birth? Would she be okay? Would the baby be okay? And this is the first case I remember being aware of and following to some extent. This was the case that piqued my interest in true crime. And I remember seeing Scott on TV and saying, I don't think he did it. Do you? To my mom, to which she replied, of course he did. I think he did it. And I don't recall, but I'm pretty sure she probably said something around the long, along the lines of the husband always does it because that sounds like something she would say. So this case is so difficult to really feel into with all of the information that's out there. And this being one of my favorite cases, which I know sounds terrible, but I already know a lot of facts about this case, quote unquote facts. And I say that because we only ever get the side of the story that the media wants you to see. However, I sat for hours in the energy of Lacey of asking her to come forward to speak with me to let others know her truth so that anyone who was ready to receive it would. And when I asked her point blank if Scott killed her, her answer came so quickly. Almost before I even let the thought finish in my head, she had answered me. And so the story goes, on the morning of December 24th, 2002, Scott Peterson headed out to the Berkeley Marina to go fishing. Lacey was at home preparing for a Christmas party later that evening. The party would be held at her mother's house, and Scott left her to go fishing. On his way home, he called her and left a voicemail on her cell phone saying that he wasn't going to be able to stop by and pick up the gift for Papa. Could she do it for him that he loved her and he'd see her soon, and frankly, His voice on this phone call just makes my skin crawl because you can hear dishonesty just seething through it. And if you're someone who feels energy or hears energy in people's voices, you'll know exactly what I mean. Sometime later on in that morning, Lacey and Scott's neighbor noticed their golden retriever, Mackenzie, super cute golden, was loose in the front yard, which evidently wasn't too unusual. But being a good neighbor, she stuck Mackenzie in the backyard and hurriedly rushed off to wherever she was headed. Now, the dog did have her leash on, though, which is a little peculiar, right? So when Scott came home, he found Mackenzie in the backyard with her leash on, which was muddy, and noticed that Lacey's vehicle was still in the driveway. He assumed maybe her mom had come by to pick her up, and they were running errands, or she was over there, and so he hopped in the shower and started a load of laundry. After this, he thought, you know, this is kind of strange. Where's Lacey? So he called her mom's house, Sharon Roca. Rocha, excuse me. And he asked to talk to Lacey. Well, when she told him Lacey wasn't there, he started to worry. Scott went out to look for her and his father-in-law, Lacey's stepdad, called the police to report her missing. And you'll see conflicting reports as well. Did Scott call the police? Did her stepdad call the police? Did Scott just go out to look for her while her dad was on the phone with the police? What was it exactly that happened? Regardless, the police were contacted pretty much right away. I feel right away. At the time, Scott theorized that she had gone down to the park and maybe she had been abducted. And it was weird that the dog would be there and not Lacey with the leash on at that. And I have to say, my dogs, if they got loose at a park somewhere, like I'm trying to think even like the playground that's nearby our house, I don't know that they would end up back here. Maybe the hound dog would, but the derpy lovey one, I don't really know if she'd make her way back here. I think she'd be found somewhere closer to like where she got loose but who knows? So I want to say this only because it drives me crazy to hear and see this statement all over the place. And I might catch some slack for this, but I really don't care. So many people say, how could he go fishing when his wife was eight months pregnant? And I'm so sorry, but why shouldn't he? I mean, unless she was suffering from some sort of pregnancy complications and I didn't see anywhere noted that she was, he didn't need to be by her side every second, every waking second of her day. I certainly loved and relished my space when I was pregnant, and I don't think that's so crazy at all. A lot of people point to it being weird that he dumped a bucket of mop water when he got home too and that she had supposedly been cleaning or was supposed to clean with it. But again, being eight months pregnant, maybe it was standard practice for her to leave it there for him to dump so she didn't have to bend over to do it herself. Again, every pregnant person and every pregnancy is different, but truthfully, there wasn't much that I didn't do up until giving birth, so none of this seems odd to me especially if she wears an independent person as everyone claims she was. I mean, for crying out loud, we were redoing our bathroom when I was eight, probably closer to nine months pregnant, ready to pop with my third son. And I told my husband that maybe carrying the bathtub upstairs with him would make me go into labor because I was ready to go. So I really don't feel like all women fall into the same, like, that bracket of all women. So it was very possible she was mopping the floor because maybe she was fine with that. Anyway... It also doesn't seem that weird to me that he's going fishing on Christmas Eve because not everyone has all-day scheduled activities on the holidays. Christmas Eve in our family was pretty dull and uneventful, so it was almost as if it was any other day. And again, if she was home preparing for a party, it could also very well be that it was easier to prepare without him. I'm just saying, when we prep for anything in our house, I find it easier to prep without my husband home. If he gets the kids out of the way and I get it all done so it's done how I like it, and maybe she was the same way. Let's not judge and invent facts. Let's just take what we actually have, because that in and of itself is enough crazy to deal with without inventing things around these details. So Scott went looking for her while her stepdad was on the phone with the police on the 24th. And then on the 26th of December, police searched the Peterson home. And I imagine this is something that would be done regardless of any circumstances. And the significant other is always the first to be looked at and must be ruled out if they had nothing to do with it. So regardless, during this time, it had already been announced to the media that Scott had been fishing in Berkeley Marina. So on December 28th, when investigators searched the marina for the first time, people have already decided that this aloof, arrogant man had killed his wife and unborn child. His guilt was decided before he had ever even been named a suspect. But we shall continue. Because it's not what I think of how the case unfolded in the media, it's what I see as a psychic medium in communication with Lacey and the energy of the event. Y'all are getting the abridged version of events here as well, because we could spend hours upon hours dissecting this case. However, on December 31st, 2002, the town of Modesto held a public candlelight vigil for Lacey and Connor. Scott declined to speak at this vigil, but even more importantly, he is on the phone with his lover, Amber Fry. During his missing wife's vigil, Amber had already gone to the police when she learned of what was going on in a news article nonetheless and told them who she was and about the affair, how she never knew he was married, thought his wife was dead because that's essentially what he told her, and how she wanted to help him find Lacey and Connor, excuse me, help them, the police find Lacey and Connor because as a mother, it wasn't about her anymore. It was about this mother and her unborn child. Scott had also told her he didn't even want children, but the fact that she had one was fine. So generous of him. So at this vigil, Scott is recorded telling Amber. The police tapped her phone. She knew about it. She was in cahoots with them, the whole nine. Look up more details about this case. Watch the documentaries. It's really so easy to fall into these rabbit holes. But he tells Amber that he's in Paris, France at the Eiffel Tower celebrating the new year. What? the actual hell. What a sociopath. I believe there is a special place in hell for men who cheat on their pregnant wives, but I digress. Anyway, he tells Amber that he's having a great time in Paris and he can't wait to see her. Yada, yada, yada. Gross. And he declines to speak at the vigil, but has no problem speaking to his lover. I will say that in an interview, and I don't recall who it was with, but he, in an interview, did say that the reason he wasn't speaking to the media as much as the others in the family was because he wanted to really focus on keeping the case relevant. So, with like the State of the Union coming up and with, I mean, the holidays, it was just really important to Scott. Please read my dripping sarcasm. It was really important to Scott that they kept her in the media. And if he wasn't talking, it kept them questioning that. And that kept them focused on the case. Okay. So now there's talk of photos of him smiling and looking like he's having a great time. And I've got to defend him here, though, and say that any one of those photos with his niece and kids are trying to cheer him up and they say something sweet, of course he's going to smile. Don't be a dick, guys. Let's grill him where he deserves it because we have plenty of opportunity for that, but this one, I'll give him. So moving on, Scott never gets too worked up and is pretty casual with the police. He even agrees on the first day of interviews to take a polygraph. And if you watch his first police interview, because I highly encourage you to look this stuff up, he's sitting (laughs) like relaxed in a chair. It's like the same way my grandfather would sit after he finished eating dinner and his belly was full. He just leaned back and that's how Scott looked. He was pretty relaxed. The polygraph, he appeared as pretty relaxed. If he was someone who really kept his cool, like I can see my husband like leaning back and explaining things because he's trying to stay so calm and he's in his like really Libra zone where he's just super focused and relaxed, maybe. But regardless, he agreed on the first day to take a polygraph. And then after talking to his family, he later declines the polygraph. And what do I feel about this? polygraph is something there's a lot of conflicting advice on, so I think he was advised to not take one and thus didn't. I also feel that he was in the middle of a giant effing lie and all they had to do was ask again, except this time under a lie detector, if Lacey and Scott were having marital problems and his answer of no, of course not, I'm so happy with my wife, would be a lie. So why would he take a test? He did have something to hide, but was it murder or infidelity? Or was it both? Telling his lover that his wife was gone and that this would be his first Christmas without her. Well, time for another psychic soapbox. You guys, if you can't tell, I am really into this case. I believe that Scott is a sex addict. Google a bit about all of the porn he rented, bought, whatever, right after all of this started. He also was rumored to have had multiple affairs. He was stressed as hell. So, of course, he went straight to what soothed him, porn and sex. And the way he speaks to Amber and Lacey, it's almost like a show that he's putting on, right? It's like a character that he's playing. And this is him. In his addictive, his like active addiction. And again, I'm not a doctor, and I might catch some grief for this, and frankly, I don't really care because I think that porn and sex addiction, especially among men today, is something that needs a lot more focus and a lot more attention from the mental health community. And that's not what we're here for today, and I'm obviously not a doctor, but this is what I feel intuitively. It's not shocking to me that he would grab porn in the same way that a smoker would grab a pack of cigarettes or go back to smoking or a drinker would likely drink a little bit more. A gambler would gamble more. This feels to me like a sex addict was craving exactly what would soothe him. And I say that intuitively and you're free to disagree or agree with me. Don't really care. His sex addiction would also be why he went around Lacey's back to have an affair. And when he said that she knew about it, It's not entirely impossible. In fact, I really feel that she did at least have some sense of something going on. And I believe prior to her death, she had known about that affair. I also believe that this isn't something she told anyone about. Hello, guilt, shame. You're with a man who's cheating on you and you're pregnant. Why would you go tell your family that? She's just as ashamed, even if it's not right for her to feel shame over something someone did to her. That's a place you sit in with shame. All in all, I also believe this is why Scott was going fishing his erratic behavior. He's in active addiction. I believe he had had other affairs during their marriage. And then at one point during the stress of the, of the impending pregnancy or the impending birth of his first child and, and just life in general, he was overwhelmed and he tripped back up again. And I really feel that if you compare this to having another drink when you're an alcoholic or something like that, it's very similar. Anyway, this is all part of his sexual fantasy and storyline that he's created in his head. Like he's living in his lie so deeply that he believes it in the same way that addicts believe their lies. So when he's interviewed and says that his affair wouldn't break them up, he meant that because he believed that. And maybe she did too, but intuitively, I believe she would have left him not long after Connor was born. So in mid-January, Scott leads a search for his wife in LA, and obviously she doesn't turn up. Claims are alleged that he was going to sell the house and sold her car, which doesn't look good for him at all. I agree. In March of 2003, detectives officially declared Lacey Peterson's case a homicide. Still no body. On April 13th, 2003, but you can bet the police do not like Scott, So on April 13th, 2003, Connor's body was found, and the next day on April 14th, Lacey's headless body was found. Her head and parts of her limbs were missing, likely from where her body was tied to an anchor that tied her down to the bottom of the San Francisco Bay. Their bodies were found not far from where Scott had said he had been fishing the day of her disappearance. Amber had also come out and let the public know that she was involved with Scott Obviously, she would do that. She doesn't want to implicate herself. It already looks bad for Scott. And why would she want to be affiliated with that, associated with that? She's going to want to clear her name and make sure that she is safe, her daughter is safe, and that she has nothing to do with this anymore. So that's a lot, right? Again, if you want more details on this case, please go watch any of the documentaries that I will also link in the show notes and listen to any podcasts that I also provide. I really recommend True Crime, True Crime Garage. They do a really good job of breaking everything down. This case has way too many twists, turns, and theories to go down all of the rabbit holes. So here's what I feel from the top. <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily make sense, and that's super frustrating to me. And when I asked Lacey, did Scott kill you? I very distinctly and quickly heard no. So much so to the point that I asked her again. I got No. The answer was so clear and so adamant, and it truly took me by surprise because I can only tell you what I see. And remember, this is the story of Lacey and Connor's death. This is not the Scott Peterson trial, which I do believe was unfair, but don't get me wrong. He's still a total creep and a terrible husband. Scott kisses Lacey in the back of the head that morning. She doesn't turn around for it. I do still believe that she's mad at him from the affair, but they did intend on working through it if they could. I can see the tension in her back as she goes on about her business in the kitchen, and he left to go fishing. He may have wanted to go golfing. He was up to his eyeballs in an affair where he was so wrapped up in his sex addiction, he wanted to have his cake and eat it, too. So when he says, I went fishing because it was too cold to go golfing, he is literally thinking, oh, fuck. I'm about to get caught, and no one is going to believe me. I mean, come on. Everyone's speculating about how a doting, loving, healthy husband would respond if their wife were missing, not someone who's having an affair on his pregnant wife. Nope. So he kisses her on the back of the head while she's baking in the kitchen, and I can see her in lounge clothes, PJ, something like that. She's comfortable, and she's wrapping up some things for her mom's party that night. She washes up, puts the leash on the dog, and walks out the gate. At that point, There's a dark gray van sitting just up the street from her house. I can see trees on the front sidewalk, like across the sidewalk or like right like by the edge of the road or something. It's very close to that. And it happens so quickly, but there's a van parked just up the street from the house, like maybe three houses down, two houses down, something like that. And I feel that there's three men in that van. One of them grabs her and forces her into the van. And this is the thing. No one sees it. She drops the dog's leash and any barking or carrying on sounds like normal neighborhood noise. So when Scott returns home and the leash is muddy, yeah, Mackenzie was jumping around on her leash, walking around, dragging it on the ground. So, of course, it was dirty. Do you have a dog? Have you ever dropped their leash while it was still on them? If the dog is as energetic as mine is, that leash gets dirty so fast. Not weird. What's more interesting is that people want to talk about how there was just not enough time for her to go missing from the time that he walked out the door to the time that the neighbor found Mackenzie out front. But he said goodbye. She was upset with him. She walked out the door not long. He walked out the door, and she followed soon after to walk Mackenzie. It was a very quick thing. So the men in the van take her to a second location. It seems to me it's like they go like up a little hill, not like a notable hill, but like driving up. I almost said a sidewalk up the street, just like up a small hill could be the end of their street. I'm not really sure. And it seems to me that they were looking for a specific person and they possibly took the wrong one. So I don't believe that this was tied to the burglary across the street. I think it's completely separate. I think that's, again, another like coincidence that that happened, which I know a psychic saying a coincidence it's crazy, but nor did Scott have anything to do with it. So I see them bringing her to that second location where there is also a woman. So it's either three men and a woman at this point or two men and a woman. I can't really be very clear on that. I'm not exactly sure which, but she was alive for a few days after her abduction. And once they ground her and she insisted she wasn't who they were looking for, they had no choice but to kill her. They literally left her body exactly where Scott said he had been, and I also believe that they had dumped her after January 1st. I hear January 3rd, but if you've ever had a private reading with me, you know that I won't sign my name to a definite date. I also believe that Scott was trying to cover for Amber and keep her and her daughter out of the media, even more so than he was trying to cover for himself. I'm not asking you to cut the guy any slack because... Scott right but I think his flat affect was exactly that he's aloof he's a narcissist and he's a, I believe a sex addict and undoubtedly is a terrible husband I believe he had multiple affairs and I believe he would have eventually ditched amber and moved on to someone else so long as Lacey kept forgiving him he would have stuck around she was eventually killed and taken out on a much larger boat off of a private slip not anywhere where they would have had to be ticketed or tracked or followed in any way. And she was dumped into the water exactly where Scott had been. I see a much larger boat. It still looks like what I would assume is like a fishing, a fishing vessel, but it's like not, I don't want to say it has like two tiers because that's not accurate. I'm not a boater, but it's like you walk on the boat and then there's, um, like a cabin in there. So it's bigger. It's bigger. There's like a designated spot for like the controls and everything. It's not just a little motorboat. Anyway. I believe they took her out on a private slip, on a private boat, and that's where they dumped her. I see at least two of those three men doing that, and I do feel that there was a woman involved in everything. She was not necessarily, she didn't have her hands dirty in anything, but she was involved. Is Scott a creep? Yes. Is he probably a sex porn addict? Yep. Does he deserve punishment for cheating on his pregnant wife multiple times? Yep. But he didn't murder her, and I do believe he will be eventually exonerated for this. And I didn't talk about him running for the border or changing his hair or anything. So many people say, if you have nothing to hide, why would you run? Well, come on. There's no way he was going to be found innocent. He knew that and his family knew that. And of course they took out that $10,000 to get him over the border. Wouldn't you do the same for your kid if you knew that they were innocent and you just needed to get them the hell out of town for their own safety? Yeah, you would. And I don't want to hear otherwise because you're full of shit. So he looked guilty and and for a fair reason, but ultimately all of his behavior while suspicious was not and is not connected to the murder of Lacey and Connor Peterson. That is my final insight, and I cannot wait to hear from my listeners on this one. Thanks for listening, and everybody stay safe.